How about this, Randall? We got to number 76 of Behind the Yellow Line. We're recording this one on the evening of July 13th, 2022. We got a full crew here tonight. Jeremy Spector's here. Randall J. Sanders is here. And folks, we are on Twitter. If you need more of our kind of mindless banter, you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Things are real bad for the big league Cubs right now. But I got a feeling this is going to be an optimistic and energetic show tonight because we're talking Major League All-Star, some cool names in there, uh, everything All-Star related. We've got uh, other stories from around Major League Baseball. We've got some prospects looks for the Cubs and the Major League Baseball draft also looming as well. So that's where we're going to focus our attention. And Randall, I wanted to start with this. Uh, The Cubs playing terrible baseball right now in a battle for last place in the National League Central. Let's start on a good note tonight. How cool is this? National League All-Star Ian Happ. Good for him. Absolutely good for him. We, we know he's had his struggles since coming up in 2017. He's been up, he's been down, he's been at AAA Iowa. Uh, he's uh, had terrible starts to the season, followed by a torrid finishes to the season when the team is already out of it. So good for him. You know, who, who knows where a player goes season to season. He will always be able to say that he was a, an MLB all-star and he was legitimate. MLBR star. He was he was voted in by his peers and the coaches. He wasn't named as an injury replacement. He wasn't voted in by the fans despite hitting like 230 like some other fan bases might do because Cubs fans would never do that. So good for him, really. I'm happy for Hap. I, I as Randall said, good for him. Uh he he's been deserving. He he is a deserving major league all-star. Uh He's had a great year. He's been hitting the ball hard. We've always kind of seen it from him that like, you know, if he can kind of just put it all together, we've seen the burst over a couple of months, you know, particularly the second half, if he put together, he could be a legitimate player and he's able to, you know, play around the, the, around the, uh, the horn a little bit, although he's kind of settled into left field now. Uh, But yeah, I'm very happy for him. And I think it's, it's cool that this Cubs team, you know, has two all-stars. It's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and across town, they only had one all-star. So and it, crazy. It, it's, it wouldn't be, have been out of left field for them to have had three all-stars. David Robertson, I think would have been worthy. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I think you really, really have to be the cream of the crop to make it in as a reliever, even a back-end reliever. Um, and because of course, relief pitching is where they typically get the, the one all-star from the bad teams. As bad as this Cubs team is, they're not sole all-star Joe Mantiply bad. And I'm kind of thankful for that, but yeah, you could have very easily made the case that this team could have had three all-stars and they, as it is, they have two. So not bad for a team uh, this bad. It's awesome too. I mean, Chavez Ravine, that's like, you're going to have an all-star game. You got to have an all-star ballpark. I think LA is about as good as it gets, uh, certainly among the top tier teams. And good point there. Wilson Contreras joining Ian Happ in Los Angeles. These were two guys at the beginning of the year. We were saying if the Cubs are going to do anything, both of these guys have to have good years Um, around them. It obviously has not worked out. This is not a good baseball team, but it's really cool. I mean, Wilson's been here before. This is his third selection, the very first for Ian Happ. And I, I just can't think of two better reps for the organization than these two guys representing the Cubs. And you can love the All-Star game. You can think it's a little bit um, uneventful, wherever you fall on that. If you're saying some of the best players in baseball and certainly two best reps for the Cubs, Wilson, Ian are clearly the guys. So cool to see them get the nod to LA. And, and I think it's Wilson's third time being voted yeah. in as well. So that's pretty cool that, you know, to be a starter, uh, the fans appreciate you. I remember one time we were in, 
Colorado, I want to say. And there, yeah. there was some fans out there trying to heckle us, saying the only reason Wilson Contreras is a major league all-star is because he plays in Chicago, basically. That if Tony Walters played for the Cubs, he would be an all-star. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, that's not correct. Wilson Contreras <laughs> is a very, very deserving major league all-star. And we'll, unfortunately, we might actually see him on another team very soon. And we'll, and he'll show you that he's a very deserving all-star wherever yeah. he ends up. So I'm happy that he's a starter. It should be noted that Tony Walters did eventually end up on the Cubs and he was not, in fact, an all-star, no. thus retroactively proving that one fan to be uh, incorrect 100%. Well, we're some of the biggest fans of Wilson Contreras. As a podcast, we've sort of accepted the fact that we do not anticipate he's going to be a Cub here in a month. But speaking of Wilson, how cool is this? His brother, William, also an NL starter at DH first time two brothers have started in the same all-star lineup since Roberto and Sandy Alomar jr. Back in 1992. That's so cool. And we all have, we remember that awesome moment in Atlanta back at the end of April when Wilson and William were out there and uh, just seeing each other. This is neat. And to see them both as all-stars, Wilson's an emotional guy. There's going to be some waterworks at Chavez ravine. I think. Yeah. I've, you know, Wilson has one speed emotionally and that's, full bore uh he I, I feel i feel like when he shares that all-star field with his brother he's going to be crying like a cartoon character like the tears ejecting from his eyes like a fountain puddling at his feet yeah wilson an emotional guy and we know he loves his brother we know there's nothing he loves more than the honor of sharing the field with his brother so uh, th both of those two individuals i think will get a great deal of enjoyment out of next week's festivities and there's no reason they shouldn't good for both of them mm -hmm. It's very cool, and it's very cool, too, that William Contreras is also a deserving all-star. I mean, he was voted yeah. in uh, by the players. He was the next man up. I mean, he because Bryce had the injury, and you go to the next man, it was William Contreras. And so it, it, this isn't just a fluke. And the Contreras brothers both being there, both, you know, W-I-L-L, pretty cool. Um, I'm sure for the family, the parents as well, they'll obviously be out there in Los Angeles rooting on the National League pretty hard. Don't have to worry about, you know, different jerseys and stuff like that. They're pretty much only going to be set on the one on the NL All-Stars. So uh, it's pretty cool. And, you know, two brothers in the same All-Star on the same team, that that's pretty crazy. Like you think the Alou brothers, I don't know if they ever did, DiMaggio brothers, but like different, you know, brothers that have made it through Major League Baseball and the Contreras brothers have done it. So that's pretty cool. I think a lot of fans, Cubs fans too. I mean, we know what Wilson means to the Cubs. Um, what about what the Cubs mean to Wilson? I think that's something that's really stood out here. He said everything right as far as I'm concerned. And that, not that that's the most important thing in the world, but it's really cool to hear him talk with pride about not just being an all-star, but representing the Chicago Cubs. He's been in this organization for you know over 12 years. Like it, 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 this is a guy too and a family that grew up in a part of the world that has a lot of issues and a lot of problems. I just think about what he's been through from his childhood, coming over to the United States, establishing himself as one of the best players in baseball. You got to feel a little romantic about that. And I just think that's an added touch to the story and everything he's saying about the Cubs and wearing the Cubs Jersey, man, it, it just, it makes it that much harder knowing that we got to say goodbye to him in the next two weeks. Yeah. I, I remember when the Cubs signed him out as an international free agent, uh, in like 2009 or something, you know, it was in the Hendry days. And I, you know, I, I, I feel like 
and not just for Wilson to expand a little bit, but all these guys that kind of came up through the system, they all understand and appreciate. I don't think any of them, I think they all, the Chicago Cubs meant a lot to all of these guys. It means a lot to Ian Happ. You can tell it means a lot to Ian Happ and he might be traded at some point. It means a lot. You know, I think it meant a lot to KB. I think it meant a lot to Rizzo. I think it meant to Bias. I mean, some people obviously that maybe come from your Brett Anderson's or something might not always feel the same feeling, but I think, you know, for a lot of these guys, it's the only organization they ever really knew. So they came through that. And so, yeah, it's going to be unfortunate when we have to part and say goodbye. But I think, you know, Chicago will always be a special place in the Cubs to Wilson Contreras. And so, you know, three, he's a three-time Cubs all-star starting catcher. Yeah. He will always be a special member, 2016 World Series champion, a special member of the Chicago Cubs organization. And one of the Cubs with one of the great Major League debuts of all the players, that bomb that he hit out at Wrigley Field. Uh, we've seen that more recently, Morel, a couple weeks ago. But, Wilson, it's just been so neat watching him finally get up to the major leagues and then be a part of some of the best Cubs teams of all time. And I, I just hope no trade happens before next week. I don't think it's going to happen before the game next week, but I'm, it's going to be awesome seeing him and Ian take the field in LA with Cubs apparel on. And, and Jeremy, I, it hadn't really dawned on me one for the white Sox. How about that? Who would have guessed that coming into the year? Right. I mean, and Dylan Cease is pretty deserving and he kind of gets yeah. snubbed, but I also want to say a request to the Fox or whoever's broadcasting the game, I believe Fox. Uh, if we get Wilson Contreras and we might not get as much Wilson as say Chris Bryant last year, because I don't know if Wilson's necessarily, you know, unfortunately language barriers, not necessarily, you know, as accessible on TV, please don't spend the whole time asking him about like trade rumors. Just <laughs> let the guy like enjoy Awful. the experience. Yeah. Like unlike last year, like Chris Bryant, when he's in the outfield and they're asking, Oh, you know, you might be traded next week. I mean, come yeah. on. Who's, it, who's that for? Yeah. Who is that right. for? Come on. It's, it's the opposite of the celebratory nature of a Major League Baseball exhibition all-star game. Let's remember that. Uh, let, keep things present and focused on the current, and there are plenty of opportunities between Sunday Night Baseball. Well, look, we know on Sunday Night Baseball they talk about everything except the game that's currently happening, so maybe they could pivot that for the next Sunday Night broadcast and speculate on where all these guys are going. Yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> do it somewhere other time. There's going to be time to talk about that. Talk yeah. about the all-star game and the experience and just, you know, all that. Well, I got something here all-star related that I think is going to lead to some dissension on this podcast. In our chat throughout the week, we sort of talked about it a little bit, but I want to get into it here. Uh, we're going to talk about the jerseys. We're going to talk about some snubs. But how about the addition of two players? The Manfred men for the All-Star game in the National League, Albert Pujols, in the American League, Miguel Cabrera. Randall, fans all over the place have different opinions on this. Where do you fall with these two veterans, all-time players, going to the All-Star game in 2022? Well, if they're the Manfred men, are they going to start the game on second base? Is that how it's going to work? Because there, there would be nothing more exciting than starting the game with Albert Pujol standing on second base and trying to drive him in. You'd need, I think, three singles consecutively to get him in from second base. Something I'm actually not clear on. Did Manfred add these spots to the all-star rosters or are the rosters the same size and these legends are taking up a spot? Jeremy, you look like you have an answer. Yeah, I believe, and I might actually be, I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this, but I believe in the pre in the CBA that was just negotiated during that lockout, it was added two extra spots to the all-star game that the commissioner gets to pick. Yeah. I did know that it was CBA mandated. I did not know yeah. if it was additional or in place of extra knowing that I have less of a problem with it. That's fine. If the commissioner wants to uh, add these two legends, one to each roster, um, you know, I, I putting, putting Pujols on there as a Cardinal, um, I'm fighting with myself. 
I like Pujols for the most part. I don't like him as a Cardinal. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent on it. It's fine. It's harmless. What I'm not the biggest fan of, and I know we'll get to this, is Pujols participating in the home run derby. I'm mm. not sure that's going to go terribly well. Um, I think he's going to Brandon Inge himself. Brandon Inge participated one year. He hit not very many home runs. I want to say it was three or four. I don't know that that's going to make for great entertainment. I think there are better power hitters that you could have put in that spot. As far as him being in the game, as far as Miguel Cabrera being in the game, it's harmless. It's fine. I don't have a real problem with it. Uh, it, it, it's a little weird to me. I, I just think because, like, I understand Pujols. He's retiring after the year. He's a great player, all-time great. And Miguel Cabrera is an all-time great player. But Miguel Cabrera is not retiring at the end no. of the year. So, like, he'll be back. So is he going to be a commissioner pick again next year? I feel like they put Miggy in there to, like, balance out Albert. But Al, Miggy's not going anywhere. So it's a little weird. I will note that yesterday, I believe it was, Miggy stole third base. And it was a bad throw. Yeah. Got all the way to left field. He made it all the way to home. So that was pretty incredible. Miggy's got some young legs over there. Um, And and Albert hit a home run yesterday, 685. Um, So I, I – it, I don't care. It's not that big of a deal to me, but like, I mean, I remember in 2001 when uh, Cal Ripken oh, Jr. And, yeah. and Tony Gwynn, and that was kind of a big deal. And Chan Ho Park grooved one of Cal Ripken and he hit the homer and that was kind of cool. So I guess like you're trying to recreate that a little bit. So it's not a huge deal. It's just, it's just weird to me because Miguel Cabrera is not retiring. Like he's going to be around. So he, do it again next year, I guess. Yeah, that's the one part that's a little strange to me, Jeremy, is that like, I think the Pujols things makes total sense. And I actually love it. And I'm not an Albert Pujols guy. I think there's a lot of current fans that don't realize how unbelievable of a player he was for most of the 2000s. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest hitters of all time. So in that regard, knowing that he's retiring, him going to the All-Star game, I think that's very cool. I think it's neat to see a guy like that around all the young all-stars in the national league right now it's like a passing of the torch albert has not been an all-star caliber player for many years now but he's one of the greatest baseball players of all time and to see him out there with these young players let's celebrate that the game doesn't mean anything it's an exhibition match it's pretty cool to see him at chavez ravine miggy it would make more sense if it was his last year and we're getting one more look at him but that's the way it is now what i would like to see here and i think would be very entertaining for the fans at home a foot race Around the base paths, <laughs> Miggy versus Albert. It'll take about 30 minutes, but who wins that? That'd be pretty fun to watch. Why would you want to see two senior citizens hurt themselves <laughs> like that? If, if they're running around the base paths, how, how, how far, if they're starting at home plate, how far do they get before one of them pulls something or blows something or tears something? <laughs> you want to talk about not good for the game. I don't think that's good for the game is uh, one legend or two legends blowing out a knee or tearing a hamstring in an exhibition race. Hey, I, I said yesterday, Miguel Cabrera stole third and then made it all the way to yeah. home on a bad throw. So who knows? Maybe there's some extra juice in those legs. Uh, we'll get to the home run derby in a minute. One more thing on the all-star game. Randall, you're the Jersey guy here. What do you think? You know, I don't hate them. They're, they're a, a, a darn sight better than what we got last year. And last year's, I think, were designed with Atlanta in mind. Yeah. And certainly they didn't have enough lead time to change it to something more Denver-centric or Colorado-centric. But I don't hate them. I, I'm still a much bigger fan of just producing an NL and an AL batting practice jersey in the, the host team's colors or whatever and having them wear their team jerseys uh, during the game itself. But for as long as they are insisting on making these all-star specific jerseys, I really don't hate these for our viewers or listeners. We don't have any viewers for our yep. listeners who have not seen these jerseys. Um, they are basically each team's home 
and road jerseys. Obviously, AL is the road team this year. NL is the home team. And they are rendered in, uh, for the NL, all white with gold gold team logos, whether that's a word mark or a team logo on the chest. And then for the AL, the jerseys are uh, very dark gray, almost black, with the logos rendered in that same gold. And they will be monocolored. The NL will be in all white, and the AL will be in this all slate gray black. So I really don't hate them. I think they could be better. Um, but I will take fine and a little bit boring versus not very good, which is what we got last year. So I really don't hate them. I kind of like them. They're definitely better than last year. I mean, last year was a total low bar, low bar to clear awful. And <laughs> I, I agree with you. I don't hate them. They, you know, it's basically the team uniform just kind of made, you know, as you said, like monochromed around. I mean, but I, I, I still prefer the character, you know, yes. of everybody having their own Jersey. I mean, it's close to everybody having their own Jersey, but they're all kind of made the same way. Uh, I, I want each person to be individual you know individual it's a lot cooler when they're introducing every player on the on the baseline and they're all in their different uniforms like that's a cool moment yeah and so i to me like they're not it's better than last year i agree it's it's not horrible but you're i feel like you're losing that character and that's disappointing yeah. I agree completely. I, that used to be my favorite image from the All-Star Games. The NL lined up on one side, AL lined up on the other side. One side gray, one side right, white. And you'd get blues and reds and greens and yellows and all the different team colors all lined up. That used to be one of my favorite images from the All-Star Game. We don't get that anymore now. It's all, again, all one template with two or three colors. Uh, yeah, but as long as we're getting it like this, it, it, it could be a lot worse. So I don't know if that's damning through faint praise, but uh, yeah, that's what I got. I agree with you guys. Uh, honestly, I love the old school look where you wear your jersey. Looks the best. Uh, people are buying these, though, apparently, or they wouldn't be making them. You know, if they weren't getting bought, maybe the Major League Baseball would go back to it. But like everything else in this sport and any sport and pretty much any business now, if there's a chance to make money, you have these fancy jerseys. And um, they are better than the Fourth of July hats and things. So I will say oh. that. Those are awful. Again, another low bar to clear. <laughs> Completely awful. dreadful. Home run derby, one of the fun events of the All-Star game. And what's awesome this year, uh, despite Albert Pujols, Randall, there are some of the great sluggers in the game participating in this. Uh, Pete Alonso, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna. Jeremy, you're a wagerer, as am I. You got to put it all on Schwarbs, right? I mean, the, what, Pete Alonso's like the back-to-back -back champ. I mean, how can you not He's, he's vying for Alonso. three consecutive. Yeah, I, I, I just want I the Schwarber. I, I, I don't know what the odds are. I mean, Schwarber, hey, if it was in June, I'd put it on Schwarber's because June Kyle Schwarber is the greatest June home run hitter, maybe the greatest June hitter of all time, apparently, uh, in Sammy Sosa category. But uh, it's in July at the All Star game, and uh, I haven't looked at the odds, but I, I would lean towards Pete Alonso. Well, I'm Acuna going Schwarber's. <laughs> it's a great list. I mean, let's just, it's, yes. I think it's a fantastic list. Alonso, Soto, Acuna, Schwarber. Pujols, Julio Rodriguez, Jose Ramirez is coming into it. There's not a name on there. You know, Randall talked a little bit about Pujols, but I, I feel like Pujols could still probably hit a batting practice fastball. Um, but all those guys, Acuna, Soto, J-Rod, Ramirez, those are all guys that hit hard base and hit him in the air. And I would love that. I mean, you might want to see like a Vlad Guerrero or somebody else, but I love all those guys. And so I think it's going to be a very fun all-star game. Or yeah, there, there, is still, there is still one spot. Uh, left. You know, I'm for that. I think that you should have one spot or two spots and give those to guys who are not on an all-star roster, but just have prodigious power, put them in the Derby. And they, the Derby has had non 
all-star participants before, which I have to imagine that's kind of awkward because, you know, you get to travel to the all-star city, you get an all-star jersey, you participate in the derby, and then it's like, do I have to leave? Do I, do I get to call myself an all-star? Are you going to let me come to the parties tomorrow? I have to imagine that's kind of awkward. I will take Schwarber in this derby. He would have beaten Bryce Harper if Bryce Harper's dad wasn't cheating and throwing the pitches before the, the home run landed. We all saw it. We all know it. Washington fans can get mad at me all they want, but we all saw it happen. So I will take Schwarber in this derby. I think he has experience. Uh, he made it to the finals last time, and he was very close to winning. So I will take Schwarber in his second home run derby uh, berth, and I will take him to win this derby. Randall, do I hear you uh, sort of backhandedly advocating for Daniel Vogelback in the Home Run Derby this year? You know, I'm not necessarily advocating for Vogelback. I did advocate for him the one year he was an actual all-star with Seattle, and that he was not in the Derby that year was absolutely criminal. I, I don't know that I'm advocating for Vogelback specifically, but I have to think that you could have one or two spots open for the proverbial large adult son, just the guy who's a complete <laughs> tank, who hits complete tanks, who's never going to be an all-star because he's probably not good enough. Maybe there's a guy on his team who's better than him and is the one cursory all-star. But if the Home Run Derby is about entertainment, which it is, and it is entertaining to see very large human beings hitting baseballs 500 feet, give a spot or give two spots to guys who aren't on the all-star roster, but I think could put on a show. I'm for that. Yeah, and, and you just remind me of something, and I, I just want to – it's a little off topic, but not quite <laughs> off topic. Uh, Paul Blackburn was a major league, named as a major league all-star uh, this year. Does that – I mean, you know, Paul Blackford and Dan Vogelbach were both traded from Mike Montgomery from the Cubs hmm, to, yeah. to acquire him. Both those guys are now major league all, we're major league all-stars. Does that change any way you feel about the Mike Montgomery trade? No, not especially. I, you know, I, I don't know that I could have come up with an champion. opinion. I don't know that I could have come up with an opinion on Paul Blackburn had you not elicited one from me. The, the one, the, the, the one uh, all-star on a, a bad Oakland team. But good for him. Again, it, it, it means something to say that you were a major league all-star in your career. So good for him. But other than that, Cubs I, traded have two trouble. All-stars for Mike I have trouble yeah. coming up with a, an opinion on that. Well, you know, he got a really important out in the history yes. of this franchise. And while we're speaking about him, I have to mention, Jeremy, you know this. Not sure if we've discussed this on the pod. Randall, you got a broken promise to Jeremy and I. You told us years ago, if the Cubs won the World Series, you would get a tattoo of the box score. And if you look at the box score of the winning game of that World Series, Mike Montgomery's name is in a critical spot. So where's the tattoo, Randall? When are we getting it? Uh, get that in writing next time, O'Shea. That's all I'm going to say to you. Get that well, in writing next time. If you, you can't texted prove, that you to us. You can't prove a thing. We might be able to prove that. Jeremy's got the archives, so we'll dig into that. Uh, Major League Snubs, all-star game. Give me one each. Who do you think? Uh, anybody here in the Rizzo camp? Like, hey, he should be an all-star. Who jumps out at you? I, well, I said mine already. I, I'm going to say Dylan Cease. I think he's Cease. clearly, and you know how I felt about Dylan Cease all the time, but I think he's clearly a major league all-star, and it's kind of crazy he did not get it. I'm going to not do the Homer thing here and say David Robertson. I was tempted to. I'm going to go Ty France of the Mariners. I was a little surprised he did not get selected as a reserve. Hopefully, as, uh, again, the injury replacements start to filter in, he gets slotted in there. But, yeah, I was a little surprised not to see Ty France uh, make it as an all-star for the Mariners. Randall, did I hear your pick for the home run winner? I said Schwarbs. Jeremy said uh, Yeah, I said Alonzo. Schwarber. Alonzo. I said I'm taking Schwarber. Alonzo. Okay, yes. good. Yeah, I said, I'm make taking sure. Schwarber in this derby. Got to get out there. Make sure it's on yes. the record. Yeah. Schwarber versus Alonso. 
Uh, one final thought on this. We did touch on it earlier. Randall, you're not really feeling Albert in the home run derby. You, you know, one thing for the all-star game, something else for the home run derby. Jeremy, do you share those thoughts? Does it bother you at all that uh, Pujols is going to take some hacks? No, it doesn't really bother me. As I said, I'm pretty sure he can still hit a batting practice fastball. I mean, he hit a home run last night against the Dodgers, 685. I mean, he's got 685 career homers. I think he can still hit them out. When I went to the homer derby, Albert Pujols hit 14 in one round. And back then it wow. was just with the outs and everything. He didn't win it. Garrett Anderson ended up winning it in the championship. But, you know, I think Albert Pujols will be okay in, uh, in the homer derby. Jeremy, that would have been 2003. You went to go mm-hmm. see it at what was then the cell. That's uh, correct. 2003 was a long damn time ago. Albert Pujols is a lot older now. I have zero doubt that he can hit a batting practice fastball. I have more doubt that he has uh, enough zip left to do what you need to do in a derby. And we've seen it. Guys who are young and at their physical peak still find it tiring uh, to do everything you need to do in a round and then recharge yourself in time for the next round. So I have no doubt that Albert Pujols can hit a batting practice fastball and probably hit it very far. I have more doubt that he's going to be able to hit 10 or 15 or whatever insane number you're going to need to hit, uh, depending on who you're paired up against, uh, in order to advance to the next round. So again, it's not about can he hit one, it's about can he hit a lot more than one. And that's where I have have my doubts well it's going to be a fun week here at Chavez Ravine home run derby Monday uh, Tuesday is going to be the all-star game and of course the futures game Pete Crow Armstrong talked about that more last week all things that we're going to be monitoring and uh, whenever we record next week we'll share our thoughts on how all that goes down uh, let's come back to the Cubs here um, later on in the show got some thoughts around Major League Baseball some crazy stories uh, including in the American League Central Today, I don't know if you saw Javi and Garrett going at it again one more time. Uh, Major League Baseball draft is coming up this weekend. We'll look at some Cubs prospects, so a lot to get into. But back to the big league team here for a minute. Uh, They're playing really bad baseball. They go to Chavez Ravine last weekend. They lose all four games. They come home. Baltimore lost last night. As we're recording this, they're getting shut out at home again against Baltimore and it's just loss after loss after loss five in a row as we record here this evening um I want to talk about a segment on the marquee sports network that popped up earlier today and I was bitching to you all that they were even talking about it so naturally we're going to talk about it right now (laughs) Uh, apparently in the pregame show today I didn't watch the pregame show but I saw this Rick Sutcliffe who likes to talk uh gave his projected starting rotation for the 2023 Chicago Cubs he goes Kyle Hendricks, Marcus Stroman, Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele, Caleb Killian. I saw that. I was real angry when I saw that that could be a possibility next year. Let me start with this question, then we'll get into maybe what they can do. Jeremy, what percent would you say that's the opening day five next April? I'm going to piss you off. I'm going to say 70, 70%. So very likely that that's I, Well, the- maybe not opening day because I'm not sure about Killian. We'll see where Killian is. I think there's a very likely that those four guys will definitely be in there. And I think there's a decent chance Killian may end up in there as well. All right. We'll come back to you in a second. Randall odds. That's the way it is opening day next year. Yeah. I have to go with Jeremy pretty much verbatim. Um, I think if the Cubs are likely to spend this off season and we of course could spend many hours debating the likelihood of that, I think they're probably more likely to go positionally and maybe punt on pitching for another year. Yeah. That would not surprise me at all. If that is the Cubs, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think we have next year's schedule yet, but that would not at all surprise me if that is their four man rotation accounting for off days coming out of uh, spring training. That would not surprise me at all for better or for worse, probably for worse, if that's how it ends up. 
Well, there's five in here with Killian as the fifth. Um, it's a different question. How would you feel if this was the five guys on opening day next year? Um, I'll give you a hand of my answer. Not good. Jeremy, what do you think? I wouldn't feel great. I, um, you know, I actually think that, you know, Thompson and Steele are pitching pretty well. I think they're deserving. I, to be honest, I'm not hundred percent confident in what is going to end up with Marcus Stroman. Cause there are scenarios where I can see the Cubs even trading Marcus Stroman. Uh, I'm not confident in Kyle Hendricks at all. And it, it's dependent on what Caleb Killian does at the end of the season and spring training next year. So I, you know, if that's the rotation going next year, I don't think that next year's team is a team that's going to really try to compete and contend, but I'm skeptical of that to be the case now anyway. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Again, if that's your rotation going into opening day next year, I really hope they spent elsewhere. I really hope they spent positionally, maybe for a big name shortstop. I really hope they did a whole lot of other things. And we say, well, they spent here, here, and here. The fact that they didn't go out and buy a big name for the rotation, maybe doesn't matter as much. I would not be terribly pleased if that's your starting five next, next season. Yeah. Would not be super happy with that. Recipe for 90 plus losses, if you ask me. And I say that thinking, and Jeremy, I'm intrigued kind of at this idea of maybe Stroman possibly being on the move. Um, I do think all five of those guys are going to pitch a significant number of innings for the 2023 Chicago Cubs. And I think that they could all contribute to a fairly competitive team. But they need to go out and get a top-end starting pitcher because that doesn't exist in this hypothetical starting rotation. Kyle Hendricks is not an ace. He, his best years, unfortunately, are overwhelmingly likely behind him. And I don't think he's ever going to return to that form. I like Marcus Stroman in a, in a Cubs starting rotation as a three or a four. And those other three guys, Thompson, Steele, Killian, I feel much better next year if they're battling for one spot between the three of those guys, knowing that there's going to be injuries. There's going to be times where you're going to need six or even seven starting pitchers. But if that's the five going into the year, that's a 90 plus loss team. And given the money that they have to spend, that can't happen. So that's how I felt. I mean, of course, it's why are they even talking about this in July of 2022, right? But that's not a starting rotation that's going to be good, and that cannot be the case for next season. My guess as to why they're talking about it, and, and I've been thinking about it in July of 2022, is, is I bet, you know, Sutcliffe has been very big on promoting all these young pitchers. And we've heard him talk about, and you know, cause he, he does go out in spring training and he spends a lot of time with these guys yeah. and he's, he's full blooded, full throated, been a cup supporter. You know, he's threatening uh, on the, uh, who was he? he was threatening the Dodgers pitcher. I can't, I'm blanking now. Anderson. You know? It was Anderson. Yes. What are yes. you going to do, Anderson? What <laughs> yes. are you going to so, do? Like, he's into it. So my guess is that's, and I didn't watch it. So, but you know, Sutcliffe was there to be like, you know, Keegan Thomas pitching well, Justin Steele's pitching well. Uh, but we hope Caleb Killian's pitching well. So he's kind of there to promote, look at all these guys we have and they're pitching well. And we, we think next, even next year they could be there. And that's my guess as to what it was. Yeah, you know, uh, Sutcliffe, he he likes he likes the Cubs. There's nobody on the Cubs team. There's nobody in the Cubs system he's not a big fan of. So I appreciate that he has that energy about him. And like Jeremy said, he is typically like a like a guest uh, coach, guest instructor at spring training. So he spends a lot of time around not just the major league team, but the guys doing their work on a backfield in spring. So you know, that's that's his prerogative to be that positive. Uh, discussing next year's rotation right now doesn't do a whole lot for me. Sutcliffe, again, I like him. I think he's got decent insight occasionally. He doesn't do a whole lot to the broadcasts for me. Yeah, it, it, I, I have, this conversation does nothing for me of, of Sutcliffe going over what next year's rotation might look like. I don't really need like Sutcliffe's insight on that. 
Um, and I don't really need like any insight on that here in July of 2022. Just to go a little off topic, I, uh, I do like Sut like telling a story as Sut as a broadcaster. You know, I, I enjoy his stories talking about the Cubs in the 80s, all that stuff. Sut necessarily as like breaking things down. I'm not, you know, super into, I'm, you know, he's fine. He, he, I, I think of him just more because he's so like such a homer. It's fun. Yes. I mean, sometimes you want a homer, you know, you, you like to have guys, you know, be, um, you know, very positive about your team. But sometimes it's like, okay, this team just lost fit five straight. And I, and I want to say, I, I do think they played pretty competitively in Los Angeles. Like they should have won all, many of those games. Like, I think they played pretty good, but sometimes when you're losing five straight, it's like, okay, it kind of is like when a guy's super Homer, it's like, uh, you know, all right, tone it down a little bit, dude. Yeah. I've, I, it's kind of off putting to me. Uh, and he talks a lot and I'm, maybe I'm a little self-conscious of that cause I'm always talking, but it, it's too much optimism to the point that it's insincere. Like you can be excited about a lot of these young pitchers. And I know tonight didn't go great for Steele, but I'm very excited about his development, Keegan as well. But let's be realistic here, right? Like it was a month ago, he was on a broadcast or a month and a half ago. And he's talking about, well, if they do this and they do this, they're going to be adding at the trade deadline, 20 games under 500. Like, like I'm not stupid, man. And it's a little bit offensive to me as a fan watching these games, seeing the way Marquis produced these broadcasts that it's in, it's, it is insulting because I'm not stupid and I do watch this team and this team is trash and we still watch them every night. So don't be disingenuous with me. Like, I don't get that vibe from JD. I think JD oh. speaks earnestly about the good and the challenges that the organization has and Sutcliffe's in there just, everything's the best they get the parade going i mean he's already got the the parade route mapped out and it's like hold on here this team is in last place in the nl central yeah, that, that's where, they, oh, that's where sutcliffe loses me like you said he, he's trying to sell us a lemon car and telling us it's in great condition that's not the case wow. like you said you can be optimistic maybe about certain players about guys in the system without trying to tell us that everything is fantastic so i i agree with how you're phrasing that we do know from previous, oh, it was a long time ago and I don't, I don't bang on the guy or anything, but uh, he did have a little bit of issues with some uh, drinking in the booth in the past, which did not work out too well when he was the broadcaster for the San Diego Padres. So yep. who knows what's going on up there when he's watching the game? Well, uh, you know, it's funny you say that because, and maybe Randall, this is what you were about to get into broadcast the other night, they were doing an ad for like the Catalina club or the Jack Daniels club or whatever the hell is in Wrigley now. And he was very sincere. He's like, Oh, that sounds good. Let's go down there. Let's get some drinks. And he heard him say that. I'm thinking, Oh, suck. Careful, man. Just, just be a little bit careful. Like enjoy the booze within reason, but he has had some issues in the past drinking uh, before going on air. What I was going to say is Marquis overproduces these broadcasts so much that the, the broadcasters themselves are on camera seemingly every inning. So not to say he can't do that and just keep his flask uh, off camera, but there's a camera in the booth uh, pretty frequently and it's on the broadcasters pretty frequently. So he'd have to be hiding it very well. I mean, I do enjoy a former Cub, a former Cub great being enthusiastic about the Cubs. I enjoy that. It's just like, tone it down, man. Tone it down a little, a bit. little bit. Yeah. I wonder this about Sutcliffe, though, to age us a little bit. Um, he was just before our time as Cubs fans. You know, uh, we, we think about those mid to late 90s Cubs teams as being the teams that really cemented our fandom. Kerry Wood, for example. Uh, Jeremy, you and I, like, he's like our guy, right? Yeah. And 98 is a big reason for that. Sutcliffe. As a Cubs fan, I mean, Cy Young in 84 and the 84 team, playoffs again in 89. He was obviously very good as a Cub in that time, but I don't have that connection to him that a fan even 10 or 15 years older than us would have who saw him pitching 
in his prime on some of the best Cubs teams at that point in your life. So I just wonder if that's part of it. Like Sutcliffe for me is like, oh yeah, he's a Cub, great. But I don't feel the affinity to him that I even feel for Carlos Zambrano. Yeah, and 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 one other interesting thing I think about that too is like, I was kind of thinking like like is he like kind of like a Ron Santo esque character? But like thinking about that, like I have more of a connection to Ron Santo even though he played in the sixties, just because growing up listening to him on the radio for all those years, and maybe that 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 effect hasn't happened yet because Marquee he really has like the only time Sut ever did Cubs games in the past has been mostly national games, and yeah. often we haven't actually been able to see them if you're really in Chicago because a lot of them were blacked out. Um, so I, I never really had that connection. Whereas like, you know, Ronnie would be all kind of crazy. I was watching the 2001, um, uh, game on Marquee the other day against the Rockies and the, it was Rockies Cubs 2001. And mm. when Sammy got a single going to left field, like Pat's, they had the radio call, Pat's trying to call it, call the you know broadcast and you just, what's it? you just hear Ronnie's go, Oh yeah. Like right in the middle of it. So you never know. So like you, I had that connection to him. Maybe Sut can kind of grow on you. And especially for over time, it's just right yeah. now it's like, they're losing five games. Everybody's frustrated with the Cubs. Everybody's in that situation. It's like, that's not really the time to be like, Oh yeah, this, all these guys are so great. You know? Yeah, man, that Oh uh, one game. I obviously I don't get marquee here in Denver there are not many nights in my life where I'm like, damn, I wish I had marquee sports that cause I can get the games on MLB TV. And that's primarily what I'm interested in. Cubs Rockies, 2001, Ricky Gutierrez tripping and then scoring the game winning run. Everything else that happened in that game, that that's a reason for marquee to exist and the to rebroadcast call. games like that. And to put the radio call on, it's very cool. The, the final call on that, you can look up on YouTube. My YouTube account hosts it. The final audio call that game with Pat and Ron, and it is, it's just, it's a joy. And it brings me back to definitive years in my Cubs fandom, where as I was learning what this organization was all about, Pat and Ron, and that will never get old to me. And that game, one of the all-time great regular season games, certainly in Wrigley Field history. Definitely. It's just, it was a, it was a joy to rewatch it, you know, just look at, you know, Fred McGriff came up and struck out, unfortunately, but then it's like Joe Girardi comes up as the pinch hitter and, and it's just so much craziness going on. Yeah. And the funny thing about that is the camera angles are so terrible. It's like, we have so many more cameras now. Um, and it's only like 20 years ago. It's like, you have no idea what's going on because the angles are so bad. That game was the genesis of weird shit happening when the Rockies come into Wrigley. They, those two teams have played some very memorable games mm-hmm. at Wrigley field between crazy game in 2008 Cubs came back from a a huge deficit uh we know they played the extended extra innings game in 2014 uh it's weird shit happens when the Rockies come into Wrigley and I'd say that energy originated in that crazy 2001 game unfortunately Tony Walters BS but uh, the one thing about that game, though, I, I just remember the score, you know, at the, and then all of a sudden you hear an Angel Hernandez calls him safe or whatever. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, God, Angel's still behind the plate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and boy, look at the balls and strikes called in that game. Yeah. That was something I caught just from folks on Twitter. And then, of course, Angel's behind home plate. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned that the camera angles were kind of weird back then. Totally right. That's something that for the most part has improved in professional broadcast over the years. But I will say this. If you came to me, 35-year-old man, and you said, Ronan, give me vintage Wrigley Field, right? At least in, in my time. 2001 is about as good as it gets. You got the bushes in center, no advertising behind home plate. In fact, very little advertising in the ballpark at all. Bleachers hadn't been expanded yet. You sent the picture to our group chat, the brick wall behind home plate. Man, it was like a castle wall behind the home plate at Wrigley Field back then. Almost intimidating 
seeing that. 2001 Wrigley, that is right at the core of this guy right here. So even if the camera angles were funky, it's hard to find prettier versions of Wrigley Field, in my opinion, than late 90s, early 2000s. They were beautifying the park, and it hadn't been inundated by ads and video boards yet. That's really a sweet spot to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just more, more for the camera angles on that final play. It's like today yes. we would have so many good replays of what actually happened. And when we were, I was sitting there watching it, it's like, okay, Gutierrez fell and there's all these rundowns, but like we have no real actual camera angle to show what's like really going on. Yeah. And you kind of just have to listen to Pat and Ron and then Ronnie yelling in the background with everything that's going on. It's just pretty, it's pretty crazy and pretty funny. And then when they do the replay, it's like, the only replays they really have are the same cameras that they use to show it. Yeah. So they don't really have any different views. Well, I got one more quick, a quick thing I want to add on that. And then let's um, uh, get some weather here for uh, the Cubs and the all-star game and all that. Um, that game in 2001, I, we were in Glenview. I was watching that game with my brother and my dad uh, in the den at my parents' house. And you're talking about camera angles. If you watch the final play of that game, right in the middle of the rundown, for whatever reason, WGN, must've been an accident. They cut to a crowd shot above the Cubs third base dugout. The play is happening. This is a play that could determine who wins and who loses the game. And right in the middle of the chaos, just this random crowd shot above the third base dugout. I'll never forget my dad, diehard Cubs fan since the forties. Show that damn play. It just came out so naturally, right? He was right, right? Show the damn play. I, I, I just one of those things where I see that play now, 20 years later, I still hear my dad saying, show the damn play as it's playing out. Gutierrez gets in front of the tag. Chip calls him out and then changes his call at the end and says he's safe. Cubs win, Cubs win. Just amazing. And uh, one of those awesome Cubs-Rockies moments. Uh, I, I, I cherish that team, 2001. That's an all-time game, though. You mentioned Chip Carey calling him out. I have seven words for you. Line drive, base hit, <laughs> caught out there. Seven words. Yeah. Yikes. Great call. Uh, I don't know how many words this is, Randall. Cubs weather. Two, uh, I guess. That's two words. Yeah, it's one uh, word if you look at it as a Twitter <laughs> handle, but it's two words. There, uh, Before we jump into the weather, I did want to say you said it wasn't uh, Justin Steele's night earlier. It should be noted as we record this, he has given the Cubs six innings, even though he has allowed four runs in those six innings, grinding it out, probably on very little sleep. Congratulations to Justin Steele and his fiance on the new baby, which is oh. why Justin is running on very little sleep, of course. With that out of the way, it is time for everyone's favorite segment. That, of course, is the Cubs weather provided by Cubs weather. Find Alexander Hall on Twitter at Alexander Hall. And, of course, find the Cubs weather Twitter account run by Alexander and two other fine individuals at Cubs weather. We only have one Cubs series to bring you the weather for this week. And that, of course, is because uh, it is the All-Star break beginning next uh, beginning, I guess, Sunday night, if you want to be specific. The Cubs welcome in the Mets. I don't know if they welcome in the Mets. I don't certainly don't welcome in the Mets, but the Mets come into Wrigley for four games beginning Thursday night. Alexander describes the series vibe as Wrigley has the range from a Thursday dazzler to a bleacher bum burner on Saturday. You could choose your own adventure for the series with the Mets. Grab the sunscreen for the day games. Thursday night is a 7.05 central time start. Temperatures will be 70 degrees, clear, comfortable, and wind in from center field or right field, 10 miles per hour. Sounds like a fantastic 
conditions for a ball game. Friday will be a uh, veritable 120 start. Nothing like those 120 Friday starts at Wrigley. 77 degrees at game time, partly to mostly cloudy. The winds light and variable with a slight chance of a light shower. It's going to warm up for Saturday. Uh, another 120 start. And how thankful am I that none of these games are being co-opted nationally. It will be 88 degrees at game time. It will be muggy. It will be partly cloudy. And there will be a slight chance for a shower or a thunderstorm. The wind will be blowing out to left field at 10 to 15 miles per hour. And then Sunday, 120, the final game of the unofficial first half of the Major League Baseball season, 78 degrees and muggy, partly cloudy with another chance for a shower or a thunderstorm and winds in from center field at 10 to 15 miles per hour. With the conclusion of the Sunday game, it does become the all-star break. All of the game's best players and also a couple who are not the best players will be headed to L.A. for the home run derby and the all-star game. And Alexander describes the all-star vibes as if MLB could put this game in LA every year. They probably would. And it's because the weather is drama free, 100% Los Angeles perfection for the home run derby Monday night, a seven o'clock start central time. It'll be 85 degrees to start clear skies and winds out to center field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Give some of those home run balls in the air to dead center field, a little bit of a boost and the all-star game Tuesday night, again, seven o'clock central time conditions will be nearly identical temperatures in the mid eighties, clear skies and winds again, brisk out to center field. So as always, we thank Alexander for his wonderful weekly condition or weekly contributions to the show. He does this with no conditions, his weekly contributions to the show. Again, find him on Twitter at Alexander hall. Find Cubs weather on Twitter at Cubs weather. Oh, good stuff in there. Thank you, Alexander Hall as well. Um, there's something else to think about Chavez Ravine a little bit with the Cubs being in Los Angeles last weekend uh, was able to watch most of the games, which was tough because the Cubs were losing, but how awesome does that ballpark look and how cool did it look on TV? Do you got the ballpark itself, which is massive second oldest in the national league, one of the oldest parks in all of baseball. But when they take that, behind the camera shot from up above the press box and they pan up and zoom out and you see the mountains and the hills there and the canyons. It's just, it, it's, it, it's gotta be like a baseball heaven. When you spend your entire career in the minor leagues in one or maybe two deck stadiums, you walk out to Chavez Ravine, you're in LA palm trees. It, it just, it looks so damn cool. And I think the, the visuals Monday night and Tuesday night are going to be awesome. It's always very cool too, like during prime kind of prime time games because um, it, that's kind of early out there. So like you know four or five mm. o'clock, and so you're always kind of getting like the sun setting and kind of that late afternoon, like as it's dripping, uh, as it, it's the sun's dropping, excuse me, in the shadows. And I always think that's kind of a cool kind of you know dusk kind of real uh, vibe to it. I, I in Los Angeles, you know, big time country out there. I think we should mention every time. Uh, there. <laughs> I just think it's so funny, uh, but like, yeah, it's got, a, it's a cool with the mountains in the background. Yeah. It's what, like, I feel like Oakland should still be. Unfortunately, it's not yeah. Mount Davis, but uh, uh, very cool ballpark uh, at Dodger stadium and, and just kind of an old classic. Absolutely. It's going to be really neat. We're looking forward to it next week. Uh, something else big coming up here. The major league baseball draft is going to be taking place starting on Sunday Cubs fans, number seven is where the pick is going to be. Jeremy, you're our uh, college baseball guy and, and uh, certainly someone who's been keeping an eye on this. When you think about the Cubs at number seven, uh, you know who's top of mind for you, or at least who's in the mix that you think the Cubs should be in on here? Yeah, so I got a few guys. It's kind of a 
it's kind of a weird draft. It's been uh, I, I I have a theme for this draft. It's a it's a draft of sons. I will say it's a good bloodline draft. The top two picks probably are going to be Drew Jones and or Jackson Holiday, or could be rumored to go to one one. Andrew Jones's son, Matt Holiday's son. So they're starting right off the bat. You know, there's a lot of sons there. So uh, there's been a lot of guys who have been rumored to go one uh, one over the past couple of years, and it hasn't really been like a Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg, there was no clear cut kind of choice. So there's a lot of guys I feel like can drop to the Cubs. One of them is Brooks Lee. He he's from Cal Poly. He's a shortstop um, out there in the big West. His father, once again, is the head coach at Cal Poly. So he didn't really have any thoughts of going out of high school. He could have been a second round draft pick, probably going to play, you know, second base, third base, but kid can hit, you know, he'd be a kid who's like really pushing if the Cubs draft him, if he were able to fall to number seven, he'd be a kid who's polished, really kind of pushing to be, uh, you know, in the majors within the next, you know, couple of years. Uh, another kid that I like personally, Tamar Johnson, he's five foot eight. He's out of high school, <laughs> maybe the most polished high school bat there is. Um, I, I think it's cool to have a little dude, uh, second baseman, most likely, maybe not the best defensively, but the guy can hit. And there's, you know, a lot of great things on his contact skills. So I think he'd be a, a, a fun guy to draft. Like if you want to draft like a five foot eight dude in the top 10, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, another dude who was, was rumored to go one one at one point, Elijah Green, uh, mm. from IMG Academy in Florida. You know, big time high school, committed to Miami. I, I would point out that Tamar Johnson's committed to Arizona State. He's from uh, Atlanta, but Elijah Green, his dad was a ten year NFL uh, tight end. So another kid who's got great bloodlines. Uh, big dude, he tons of power. Probably not gonna, super athlete, as I mentioned. His father being an NFL tight end, probably not going to be like center field ish. Probably move more to the corner outfields. I'm um, going to have some swing and uh, whiff in his game, but like big time power can hit. Going to be hit, hit a lot of home runs. You know, pretty good. Uh, as I said, bloodlines with his father being there, so you know what type of athlete you're getting. And then you know, keeping moving on. If we're talking about trading Wilson Contreras. Um, there's a kid out there at Georgia Tech. If he falls that far, Kevin Parada, draft eligible sophomore, kid hit 26 homers in the ACC this year. Uh, catcher, like if you're talking about, well, you can't trade Wilson because there's nobody in the pipeline. If this kid's there, like there's somebody in the pipeline, he's gonna be pushing. Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech has had a great kind of tradition of catchers. Jason Veritek, uh, I believe, man, uh, Weeders, I believe, uh, uh, Joey Bart. So like it, Georgia Tech knows how to produce catchers. And then finally, another son, and this is actually my personal favorite, uh, Cam Collier. He's only 17 years old. He's going to be 17 wow. years old on draft day. He left high school early, just like Bryce Harper. His father is Lou Collier from Chicago, former major league veteran, I think like seven years in the major leagues. Um, he left high school early and he went to uh, 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 Chipola College, a big time Juco in, in Florida, and he held his own. He hit pretty well. The kid hit... 333, 419, 537 with eight homers as a 17-year-old in junior college, skipping mm. his senior year of high school. So, like, if you're just talking about, like, ceiling, this kid's all there. Like, he's obviously going to be very raw. But I think in terms of ceiling, like, he's probably going to be a third baseman. He went to Cape Cod League, struggled. But those are all guys off of, you know, freshman, sophomore year of college. And he's playing there when he should have been off of his senior year of high school. So I, I just think, like, to me, that kid, 17 years old, if he's there, that would be my guy. That's my favorite. That's cool. I uh, appreciate the rundown there, too. That was the guy that MLB.com today had projected going to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Collier, that is. Um, Randall, do you have any preferences or a guy in particular that you're like, hmm, that's the guy at the top of your list? No, you know, the, the MLB draft is 
so different from the other drafts and that you're, you're not going to get a guy who's going to contribute uh, who's going to contribute immediately or even contribute soon. The point is it's not necessarily about drafting for need. Like you do in the other sports, you draft who you think is most projectable and most able to help the team three or four years down the line. And that changes the calculus for me a lot. But so for the most part, I just trust them to go best player available. It doesn't really matter what position because so much is going to change in the, the two or three or four years before this guy even comes close to making the major leagues for the most part. So that changes the calculus a lot for me. It's not like the NFL draft where you can say the team needs a, a cornerback and you go cornerback the team needs a wide receiver. You go wide receiver, you go with who's best available and who's most projectable. And that's the thing. If a guy is sitting 93, 94, do you project that he can add a couple miles an hour to that fastball as he develops? So that's what makes it interesting for me is you're not drafting for now. You're drafting for 2025 or 2026. And that makes it very interesting for me. And it makes it a lot harder for me to say, yeah, I've got a guy because for the most part, I don't. Yeah. And I just want to say like this draft, I feel like, I don't feel like it's very set in stone. It could go a lot of different ways. As I said, Four of these five kids outside of Collier, I would say the first four I mentioned, at one point were rumored to be like the number one pick over, I would say, over the last year or two. And so like different guys have kind of moved up and, and they've all moved up and down. And there's guys, I mean, I named five guys. I mean, the Cubs could, I would the, theoretically, there's other players that they could draft that I didn't even mention. Like yeah. uh, a guy like Dylan Lesko, who was a right-handed pitcher uh, coming into this year, probably the best high school pitcher in the country. He, I thought like that was a perfect guy at number seven. He has Tommy John surgery. So we'll see what happens with him. There's other college bats, but those are the five guys to me that if they're there, I think those are the most, and five is a lot. I would feel like usually I would mm -hmm. try to narrow it down if they're there and there's a good chance. One of those guys, at least one of those guys will be there. I, I think those would be the guys I would be most interested in. Well, I, I think, too, something about this draft is looking at various mock picks and things seems batting heavy in the top 10 or 15 versus a bunch of guaranteed arms that you're like, oh, this guy's going to be going for sure in the top five or the top six. Uh, seems offense heavy this time around. Um, that said, there's a really interesting pitcher, Jeremy, that I wanted to get your take on. Kumar Rocker, the star from Vanderbilt. You remember last year he was picked by the Mets 10th overall. They had the post-draft physical, and things went haywire didn't sign with the Mets. What do you make of this? Like, like, where do you think he's going to go in terms of overall pick? And like, this is so unprecedented that you got a guy who was a top 10 pick last year, doesn't sign and is a huge question mark here in this year's draft. Yeah. It hasn't really happened for a long time. It's uh, it's interesting. He didn't sign. He had the arm issues. Um, but I, often when it's happened, those guys kind of hadn't really kind of rebounded. And Kumar Rocker, I feel like he only had the one start recently, um, but it seems like things are going good for him. He's playing pretty well. I, I would not be surprised if somebody took some risk on him in the upper half of the draft. I think he's going to be a first rounder, but mm. like that's a guy who at one point was rumored to go one, one in a draft. If you can kind of get him, you know, coming off, I think you, why not take the risk? I'm honestly, I'm stunned that the Mets didn't sign him last year. Like it, I still think that was probably a pretty good deal to get Kumar Rocker, even if he, you know, needed some arm issues to get him last year. I mean, I, I so the Mets get an extra pick this year, but I, I think Kumar Rocker was probably the deal last year. So I, I'm surprised they didn't sign him. I think I saw him last year in Omaha. He pitched pretty well. Um, I'd never always been super high on him. I, you know, I, others have been, but I think he's clearly a top end talent. And so I, I think that somebody, I think somebody will take a shot on him in the upper half of the draft. For sure. I'll be watching that. I'm, I'm very curious where it goes. Awesome player in college. And then, uh, boy, the, the stories when that post-draft 
physical, I guess is what you'd call it, took place, it's like, holy cow, this has gotten really interesting all of a sudden. So we'll see where he goes. Draft is Sunday of the first 100 picks. The Cubs have three, number seven overall, number 47 overall, and then number 86 overall. And as those picks come in, we'll have lots to talk about next week uh, with some of these new faces in the Cubs organization. Good news for the Cubs as well. Fangraphs, number six farm system in Major League Baseball. That came out a little bit earlier this week. I'll add to that. Uh, yeah. Baseball America came out the top 100 recently. They have four Cubs on their top 100. They have, you know, Pete Carmen Armstrong's now the number one player in the system. Brandon Davis has fallen, still in the top 50. Yeah. Christian Hernandez moving up. I, I believe he's top 75 now. And Caleb Killian still in the top 100. Uh, I believe he's in the 80s now. So four Cubs in their top 100. That's pretty good, I would say. Yeah. Uh, as Randall would indicate, up and up and up is the direction of the Cubs farm right now. Um, I was laughing a, a little bit. Boy, I'm kind of beaten up on the White Sox tonight in this, which is not really my style. I'm not really anti-White Sox like one member of this podcast, Randall J. Sanders is, but I was looking at their rankings of the farm system and no surprise with all the talent they've brought up the last few years, 29. Oof. So big lead team struggling right now. Farm, not much help down there. I think got a feeling we're gonna talk about the White Sox here again in a minute. But while we're talking prospects and minor leaguers, Randall, who you got this week for your prospect corner? Well, I, I thought I'd keep it short for this week's prospect corner because I knew Jeremy was going to have us covered on the draft. And I knew we were going to spend a great deal of time talking about the All-Star game. So just one prospect for prospect corner this week, and that is infielder Chase Strumpf. He's a 24-year-old playing at AA uh, Tennessee. He was a second-round pick out of UCLA in 2019. And just tying it back to the draft, I remember the Cubs drafted him while he was playing, in, I believe, in a College World Series game. And I believe he homered very shortly after the Cubs drafted him. I don't know that he knew he had been drafted, but that's still neat. He celebrates uh, getting drafted by homering. Uh, so he was drafted as a second baseman. He primarily played second base at UCLA, of course, big time country, as Jeremy would like us to point out. Uh, he has actually played more third base in the Cubs minor league system this year, uh, 50 some games at third base compared to 20 some at second base. And that's interesting because the defensive profile on him was not super encouraging. The arm is just okay. The range is just okay. But clearly the Cubs see something there that make them think that he might be able to stick or at least capably play third base. Offensively, he's hitting 243, but he's getting on base at a three 387 clip. So he's doing a great deal of getting on base without necessarily hitting. He's slugging 478. He's got decent power, 14 home runs this season. He has walked 44 times, struck out 104 times in 310 plate appearances. And that's what he's going to do a great deal. Uh, no matter where his career ends up, is strike out a fair bit. But a lot of those strikeouts are of the looking variety. Often the knock against him is that he is too patient of a hitter and he will watch his pitch go by for strike three. But he's still an interesting guy. He has patience. He has power. He has uh, enough defensive versatility, play second and third base that the Cubs are continuing to try him there. And those are potentially both positions where the Cubs have a little bit of a revolving door right now. Patrick Wisdom is whatever you think he is. Nico Horner is your shortstop right now. I don't want to say I hope that's not the case, but they could very easily sign a big name shortstop and move Nico back to second. Nick Madrigal is who knows. So those are positions where the Cubs potentially have at bats available in the seasons ahead, second base and third base. So he's a hitter. I would be very interested to see. Uh, how that bat plays at AAA and eventually at the major leagues. I think the contact and patience and power is always an interesting profile, especially for a, a second baseman uh, or less so for a third baseman. So that's my prospect corner guy for this week is Chase Strumpf. Yeah, Chase Strumpf, UCLA, Big Ten country, as Randall said. 
Um, yeah, very, very cool. I remember that too, as well. I believe it was a regional game, but in the NCAA tournament, super regional and Trump homeward, like an hour or, you know, maybe in a half hour after he was called, it was, it was very cool to watch it. I, I, I remember Tyler Colvin doing something similar, hitting like a grand slam the day after day of when he got drafted. It, that was always kind of cool back when the draft was, you know, during the tournament, I know college coaches absolutely hated that, but for fans, I always thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, good stuff there. Randall, always fun hearing about some of these minor league players. Uh, I wish there was more excitement at Clark and Addison so we could be talking a little bit more about that right now. We sort of brushed through this bad stretch of Cubs baseball, um, but lots of excitement down on the farm. And as some of these trades play out, more and more of those guys are going to make their way to Wrigley, and we'll get a clearer picture of what 2023 is going to look like. Uh, let's jump around baseball a little bit. Today was a pretty active day in terms of headlines and stories, and I teased a minute ago, we may come back to the White Sox. So what I'm talking about, Toronto fires their manager, Charlie Montoyo. He's been at the helm of that team since 2019. If the season had ended today, when the Blue Jays had woken up, they're in the playoffs. They're the last wild card team. They are fourth in the American League East, that behemoth of a division right now. This team is currently a playoff team. A tough start, though, here to July. Overall, the organization feels like they're underperforming. And despite being four games over 500, Montoyo out. That news breaks today, Jeremy. You told it. I think I think you're the one who broke it in our group chat. You immediately followed that up with, and yet Tony Larusa is just cruising on the south side. Isn't that bizarre? How different these organizations operate. Yeah, I I, I would have to think like I you say I'm a wagering man. If you were to put wagers, I never looked at the odds, but how many people out there put wagers on next manager to fire? Tony Russo had to be the overwhelming favorite, right? <laughs> Next manager that's gone. Had to be Tony Russo. I mean, you thought, you know, you you knew Jerry Reinsdorf would never fire him, but like you still thought, like they're just he walked another guy. He intentionally walked Jose Ramirez the other day with in an 0-1 count, an 0-1 count. He intentionally walked him. They asked he was and but then he asked Stone. He's like, "Why 0-1 count? You got anything for that?" And Stone's just like, "No, I mean, I I'd intentionally walk him, but." I would have done it before one pitch was thrown. I don't understand yeah. why I know one. It's so, like, it just, it's like, is he paying attention to the game? What's going on there? But then you see the blue Jays that you said ALS East is a behemoth, but they're four over. They're going to be in the playoffs right now. If the end of today. So I don't know, maybe there's something going on in the clubhouse. Yeah, I absolutely would not have had uh, Montorio as my next manager to go. I, uh, as I went on a, another podcast last week. Oh yeah. Uh, yes. Which uh, I was on the stitches 108 podcast with Casey Lima. You can look that up and check that out. But I was asked what manager I thought would be the next to go uh, uh, lose his job. And I said, uh, without question was Tony La Russa. I just don't know what he's doing for that team that justifies keeping him around. But as Jeremy so succinctly put it, the White Sox operate kind of in a different, uh, in a different world. And as long as Jerry Reinsdorf has his guy and is happy, Tony is probably not going anywhere. But as you said, it's, it's interesting to see how these organizations operate differently. The Blue Jays feel like they are good, but could be a lot better. The White Sox right now are not especially good and they feel they should be a lot better. And yet one manager is gone. One manager is, is not. And it's, it's just interesting to see. So I would not have had Montoyo as my next to go, but that is a, that is how baseball goes sometimes. It's just Randall. crazy. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Jeremy. Oh, I was just going to say the AL East. Every team is above. I mean, the Orioles, Orioles hold on tonight. Every team's above 500. So super tough division. If the Orioles hold on tonight, they've won 10 
consecutive baseball games. The O's, happy for their coaching staff. You know, plenty of uh, former Cubs in Brandon the mix Hyde. there. Exactly right. But um, goodness, like it's it just, it's incredible. And uh, the Blue Jays, a team that I think will be competitive the rest of the way. I do think they're still going to be playoff bound, make the change up at the top. Uh, something else about that podcast, though, and, and our guy, Stan, big fan and, and friend of this podcast, uh, he was thinking what I was thinking, Jeremy. You're there talking about pizza. Where's the Barnaby's love, Randall? Where, where is the love and appreciation for the best tavern cut pizza in all of Chicagoland? What are well, you that's, doing? That's just an inexcusable oversight on my part to not mention Barnaby's and the famed cornmeal crust. Uh, so if, if I could do it all over again, I'd go back and I'd give Barnaby's the love it deserves. So that's on me. The pizza is not on me. I wish the I don't want the pizza on me. I'd like to eat the pizza. You want but, pizza uh, in you. Yes. 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 I want the pizza within me. Uh, but yes, that that is that is my mistake. Sorry, Barnaby's. I don't know that you've uh, I don't know that you have a close enough connection to me to disown me. But if you do feel the need to disown me, I accept your decision. Well, and we know yeah. Barnaby's disowns people. So absolutely. Oh, yes. You know, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I got I'm not going to get too much into it, but we we do know somebody uh, who basically he didn't get banned from Barnaby's, but he got the, you're not allowed to order after a certain time because you don't come and pick it up on time. And then we're staying late to stay open for you. So he got one of those, you know, if you call after nine or you, you can't, like if I called after nine, I could go and get a pizza. If he calls after nine, they're not open. So it does happen. Yeah. It does yeah, happen. Don't have that happen to you. Um, one other story around baseball. I was laughing my ass off when I saw this earlier today, Randall, if you're going to pick, any franchise in Major League Baseball that would have to deactivate 10 players before going to Toronto because they're unvaccinated. Of course, it's the Royals, right? Of course, it's, of the, course Royals. it's the Royals. <laughs> of course, it's, of course it's uh, Mike Matheny's Royals. It, it's, it's not funny, but it is. It, it's distant enough for me that I can laugh at it. To our listeners who are not aware of the story here, Ronan just laid it out for you. You, of course, are not permitted to enter Canada, you're not permitted to re-enter the United States either, but you are not permitted to enter Canada if you are unvaccinated right now. And so the major league teams who are playing in Toronto, they any unvaccinated players have to be put on the restricted list, which is basically the non-injury IL. You're not allowed to be on the roster for whatever reason. And the Royal, we've seen it, uh, teams having to deactivate three, two, three, two guys, three guys, maybe four guys. The Royals had to deactivate 10 people, 10 players from their 20... <laughs> 26 man roster heading up to Toronto. And that's ridiculous. Jeff, Jeff Passan pointed out it's 40%, 40% of their active roster that they had to deactivate as they head up to Toronto. And one of those players is Andrew Benintendi, who has been mm. tossed around as a trade candidate. And that's interesting that he's not going to get to play in these games leading your going up to close to the deadline. And yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a little bit sad, but it's far enough away that it's from us that we can call it funny. 10 guys, 10 guys on that roster. And one of these guys, I can never remember who's between Whit Merrifield and Hunter Dozer, basically the same guy to me. One of them put out this long winded statement about how it's his choice. And he did the research like, okay, buddy, you, you have fun watching the game on TV. Well, I believe that was uh Whit Merrifield. And I yeah, believe what he said sure. was also in that, was if he gets traded to a team or something and they're playing the playoffs in Toronto, he would consider it. So obviously mm, wow. it, it, it's so what meaningful to him that he like, well, why, why you consider it then? Why not just do it now? So you can play more games. But, and, and as you say, like, what you a hero think, I, I want to be. Yeah, you go ahead. 
I want to be the, the guy who responds to these statements from the players. Uh, Randall Sanders has put out a statement today, courtesy of his agent, and it's just the words hand wanking motion. In I'm his agent, by the way. Yes. I am Randall's agent. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, why yes. don't you tweet at all of them? I would. I would also. But as you say, like Andrew Benatendi on the trade, you would think like most AL East teams who are all competitive right now that he's kind of off the table because they got to play so many games in Toronto. But uh, you know, ten guys when so far the entire season, and I don't know how many teams have gone through there. It's been twenty-five guys total, and the Royals had ten, so they're almost half of everybody else. And uh, but surprisingly, Matheny. Is not one of those guys. That 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 would surprise me. Good for Matheny for making that decision, I guess. But yeah, that's it's just a stunning number. I, I was laughing, like I said, when I saw it. And I come back to the Cubs, though. I, I do wonder if it adds to the appeal of an Ian Happ type guy for any of those American League East teams. Um, that yeah, you got to play a lot of games against Toronto, and Toronto's right in the thick of it for a wild card spot, at least over in the American League. Uh, Ten guys, though. What a what a, a a footnote in history that is that yeah. we will hopefully that hopefully will not be an issue ten years from now. But that ten years from ten years from now we'll be thinking back to yeah they were looking at this guy and considering acquiring him, but he wasn't vaccinated and they had to play a lot of games in Toronto. Like that, what what a historical footnote that is, and yeah. what a, what a silly historical footnote that is on the part of these players who are not vaccinated. Well, the last five years or so, when, when we look back on this in 20, 30, 40 years, and just as we would to random games in the 60s, the 70s, or anything like that, there's going to be some odd stories that the next two or three generations of young baseball fans are going to be like, wait, what? What happened back in 2020? And and they, what, what all occurred? And and I that's part of the beauty of baseball, though, going back to the 1870s. Sorry, 1981, basically. <laughs> if you know about yeah. 81 with the split season. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can go to baseball reference, you can look at all the transactions made league wide on a given day with I would just love to be the person who without any context in 2042 goes back to baseball reference for July 13 or whatever day these transactions become official July whatever 2022 and you see the Royals having to deactivate 10 guys without any context and just wondering what the hell happened here. Did the flu break out in the clubhouse right. or what's the, what was there? A, uh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, all right. Number 76, our 76 podcast, Randall, this is not a number that has had a ton of wear in Cubs history. So who are the 76s over the years? Well, the spirit of 76 lives on through two members of the Chicago Cubs organization, one of whom was a player, one of whom was a coach. The player was an individual by the name of Daniel Garibay. He was a left-handed pitcher. He pitched in, uh, he pitched in, Sorry, just a second. Where's the number of games? There we go. I'm sorry. He pitched in 30 games for the 2000 Chicago Cubs, one year yep. shy of being on one of your favorite teams. He was two and eight with an ERA of 603. He was, uh, did a little bit of starting, but a whole lot of relieving as well. He did not do anything particularly notable. The His FIP, fielding independent pitching, and his ERA plus both confirmed that he was not a particularly good pitcher, but he did wear number 76 for the 2000 Chicago Cubs. And then the coach, to have worn at number 76 was former Cubs player Kristen Orfia, who wore it as a coach mm. for the 2019 Cubs. And I'll always say I saw Kristen Orfia hit a walk-off home run in a makeup game against the Royals very late in the season in 2015. Fun season that that was. I was there for that game. Uh, so I'll always say that about Kristen Orfia. And those are your two Cubs to have worn at number 76 in franchise history. And I, I, I don't remember Daniel Garibay at all. 
but I like looking him up because he's only he's a pitcher. Started eight games. He was only five foot eight, one fifty. Oh, you like the little guys. I like the little guys. <laughs> That's the theme here tonight. Uh, liking the little guys here. Um, anything else that we want to add? Yeah, the in, more interesting interesting things about Daniel Garibay is that he was purchased from the Mexico City Tigers in the Mexican League <laughs> by on two separate occasions, both by National League West team. The Dodgers purchased him from his uh, Mexican League team in September of 1994, and then the Padres purchased him from the same uh, Mexican League team in October of 1997. So they must both teams must have seen something they liked. He signed as a free agent with the Cubs ahead of the 2000 season, and there are no man, major league transactions listed for him after that. So that was his one season. Always interesting to look at these completely random guys and see uh where they came from and where they went yeah and uh you know for me i just i'm always excited for the draft we talked about a little bit so uh i i think it's gonna be really intriguing to see where the cubs go because there's gonna be so many options yeah yeah so that's sunday uh, monday home run derby tuesday all-star game and in the middle of all that futures game so lots to talk about we come back next week and maybe the cubs will win a game before we meet next year. Uh, we'll see, though. Who knows? They're kind of limping into the All-Star break here. Uh, that's all we got, though, tonight. Again, we are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. For Jeremy and Randall, I'm Ronan. Thanks for joining us. Go Cubs. We'll see you next time.